This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. Well, so nice to have all of you, and uh, I think we're starting kind of on time here. Uh, we'll make it up for a little bit of lost time. I confess, I left campus to eat lunch. My associate, John, raise your hand, John. He and I are back at the booth, the 6-4 Fellowship booth. He uh, He's kind of a food connoisseur, so we went and had tacos for lunch. What would you have here? Barbecue. Barbecue. Okay, all right. Well, now I'm jealous, but Where'd that's okay. Tacos. It, <laughs> it was good. What was the name of that place? I don't know. It was good. <laughs> it was real close. No, it's kind of a new place. It was really, really fun. So anyhow, but good to be with you. How many of you are pastors? Let's see your hand. I'm just curious. All right. About half of you. Very good. And uh, the rest of you are not pastors, right? Yeah. I used to call those folks laymen or laywomen, uh, but they would take that as a command I'd say laymen, they just lay there, so I quit saying that. I'd, uh, I call them saints now, so uh, you're, you're a saint. That's Paul's favorite word, uh, Hagion, so uh, holy ones, and uh, very grateful to have you. Uh, so my name is Daniel Henderson. I was a pastor for about 30 years. I still kind of pastor. I mostly pastor pastors, uh, but pastored in uh, the land of soups, uh, of uh, flakes, nuts. Uh, I was going to say soup and nuts, but... Uh, Land of Flakes and Nuts out in California, and uh, then Minnesota, uh, and then went full-time with what I'm doing now about 15 years ago. So I uh, went from being a senior pastor to what we call a full-time spiritual pyromaniac, and uh, that's what we get to do. Uh, we do a lot of coaching with pastors and helping them develop a culture of prayer and uh, leading prayer events, and uh, so it's very, very good to be here. I think this is about my fifth year to be at Shepherds 360, so it's always good to be back. Uh, how many of this is your first time at, at uh, this conference? Anybody? All right, good. Well, I hope you are blessed and enjoy it. Yeah, he, he just realized you had to. So, yeah, first, yeah, that's right. good. So, yeah, we'll have to make some room here, it looks like, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I'm married, married 41 years. My uh, little thing about my family, I married a pastor's daughter. Uh, we have three children. My oldest son married a pastor's daughter. My second son married a pastor's daughter. And obviously my son-in-law married a pastor's daughter. So it's a little bit of an ecclesiastical inbreeding going on, but uh, the 11 grandkids are normal so far, and I'm glad for that, and uh, very, very grateful to serve. I live, uh, our offices are in Denver, Colorado, actually, but I live at Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia, just down the road, and our staff is spread all around the country, um, uh, Virginia, South Carolina, Minnesota, Wyoming, uh, Texas, and Colorado, so... Uh, we're uh, grateful to serve you. I'll tell you a little bit about our ministry here. By the way, this is the title of the workshop, a little uh, writing in there. And this is really in connection to a book I wrote called Glorious Finish, thus the logo up there. Uh, but we are obviously uh, making it really consistent with the theme of uh, the conference here today. Let's see. Uh, one thing you may be interested in, hope you take your cell phone out, take these QR codes. Where would we be without QR codes? But uh, every Monday, we do a thing called Monday Motivator, and uh, it's just our way of helping you start your week off uh, with some fresh inspiration, and uh, if you like it, you can keep subscribing, 
If you don't, you can unsubscribe, but we think it's a, a great encouragement and a way to just continue to stimulate renewal in our hearts and minds, and the trust that will be helpful to you. Uh, or you can just go to strategicrenewal.com. Um, so why you have your phones out, another QR code. This is for pastors. Uh, I don't know how many of you have subscribed to the 6-4 Fellowship as a pastor, but uh, every week you get a brand new resource, either a prayer guide or an interview with someone. Uh, just about spiritual life, spiritual integrity, prayer leadership, preaching, just kind of the fundamentals of ministry. And if you um, sign up while you're here, we have a special deal for you. We have a full library that one of our uh, staff gals is going to pull a name randomly and send that whole thing to you. Like you're not getting enough books already, but uh, just in case, we'll send you some more. And uh, hopefully there'll be an encouragement to you. Then one last thing before your the blood runs out of your arm, we have one more QR code. Uh, and that is our app, and that, that's pretty easy. You go to Google or to Apple, and on that app, there's all kinds of resources, one of which I'm very excited about. Uh, I'm about to Psalm 67 now, and that's leading you in a about a 10-minute prayer out of the Psalms using the model prayer uh, that Jesus gave us, and uh, it's a really wonderful, um, one of the wonderful resources on our app. And again, that's kind of a portal to everything we do. So enough of that. Let me pray and we'll jump in today. All right. So Father, in Jesus name and with gratitude for the indwelling spirit that is now ours because of the cleansing of the blood, uh, we thank you that uh, today while we gather together um, uh, individuals that you have selected in this time to share truth, are just a means by which your spirit can ultimately teach us the things that we need to know. So I pray that even in this afternoon hour, you would make our minds attentive, our hearts open. I pray that uh, that which you have put on my heart to share will now be multiplied and uh, really caused to be fruitful through the indwelling uh, spirit uh, living in us. And we know that his goal is to make Christ glorious. So when it's all said and done, may you be glorified as a result of the time we spent together. And we pray this for the sake of your son and the honor of his name. Amen, amen. and amen. So yes, go ahead. When you get text messages, they're showing up. Oh, they are. Is it my wife or what? Are, you know, I don't know who they are. <laughs> let me see how I can do that. I gotta shut this down. I think, right? Put so, do not disturb. I think it'll stop. Oh, oh yeah. So where do I do that now? See, oops. You can just right click your text. Close it. Right click. Yeah. Close. Okay. All right. Here, let me do this. This is fun. So you guys can watch me learn stuff right here. So uh, here's the text message thing, right? And can I? I can quit that, right? Oh, it keeps... I don't know if you did. did you... No, I didn't. Well, just tell me if anything important comes through. I don't really care. And... <laughs> I can call my wife, all right? Uh, maybe I'll win a prize or something. Somebody's going to text me. All right. So if you were to answer this question, I am called to, I wonder what your answer would be. Some of you would say, well, I'm called to be a good husband, faithful wife, called to be a Pretty decent dad, I hope, maybe a good mom or grandmother, called to be a good elder, called to be a good employee at work. Uh, all those answers, I think, are valid. But I want to raise the bar even a little bit more in a way that has really challenged my life, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 10. I'm going to ask you to read it aloud with me, if you will, all right? It's after lunch, so we'll stay engaged here. Let's share that together. If you can see the screen, uh, I think Ben has it memorized anyway, so you don't need to see the screen either way, all right? But here we go. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So backing into that question we asked a minute ago, what are you called to? Anybody see a clue in this verse? Yeah, well, it's suffering for sure. But ultimately, to his eternal glory in Christ. So that, that has really rocked my world. Because whatever you think your calling is, your goal is, is going to affect the decisions you make along the way, right? And I believe that we need to raise our sights in terms of what we're really called to do. Certainly you're called to be a good mom, a faithful husband, whatever the case is. But ultimately our calling is beyond this world. We are called to participate in the eternal glory of Christ. And that, as the topic of this workshop really indicates, affects the daily choices we make toward an authentic life and a life of transforming impact. In Ephesians chapter 1, you see this, if you found notes somewhere out there in cyberland, I don't know. Anybody find the notes yet? Yes. Okay, all right, good. Got some, some people figure that out. Uh, Paul wrote it this way, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things together after the counsel of his will, to the end, here it is, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. And again, the end game of it all is to participate in the praise of his glory. Now I know that sounds very ethereal, kind of otherworldly, and it is otherworldly, but it's ultimately compelling and defining in our journey as we understand what that means. So kind of a, sum a summary, many Christian leaders stumbled, even ended in disqualification. Uh, we have, let's see, I, I think we have a, did we just have a message on that, or is it coming up in the next session? Must be the next session, because you don't look like you know what I'm talking about. All right. Anyway, a limited life vision results in short-sighted outcomes. This workshop impacts our calling to a glorious finish. And based on decades of pastoral ministry, two experiences of salvaging churches in the wake of a moral failure, which I'll tell you a little bit more about, we'll examine the expressly biblical and practical choices that lead to the eternal glory of Christ while avoiding the tragic outcomes of spiritual and ministry failure. So I know that's a lot to take in, but that's kind of where we're headed, all right? I look what Paul Tripp says. He says it this way, Life is really all about what glory attracts your eyes and captures your heart. He says, this is true because as human beings, we're all glory junkies. Turn to your neighbor, call him a glory junkie, just uh, keep him, uh, yeah, you're a glory junkie, right? We are. But he says, uh, we all live for glory in some way. Uh, and the point, again, many times that we tie our calling to the inevitable reality of self-glory that gets woven in there, that if we understand we're called to the eternal glory of Christ, that changes everything. Jonathan Edwards, you've probably heard of him along the way. He says, it appears that all that is ever spoken of in Scripture as an ultimate end of God's works is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. So I would suggest to you that to live authentically and have a life of transforming impact, we have to know what our ultimate calling is, and then that begins to change how we make daily choices all along the way. Um, I'm going to jump ahead just to this. Uh, it's down a little bit later. But what got me into this whole realm of thinking was uh, Moody uh, Publishers' request that I write a book about finishing well in ministry. The reason they picked on me was that two of my three ministry assignments were on the heels of very high visibility moral failure. Uh, at the age of 30, I'd been an associate to a guy named John MacArthur. Maybe you heard of him. 
I know you've heard of him in this context, but uh, uh, some context, you pucker or duck when you say his name, but I think this is more of a pucker crowd, I think. So, uh, but after working for John, I was called to church in the Bay Area of California, uh, followed a man who'd been there for 28 years. He'd been the visible face of a thing called the moral majority. Some of you may be old enough to remember that fighting uh, the homosexuals in San Francisco and, you know, good cause. But they found out that for eight years he'd been covering up at least one, if not multiple, affairs. So there was a big blow up. Church lost half its attendance and giving. I inherited a 28 million, I mean, I'm sorry, a $25 million lawsuit. And I was at the ripe age of 30, so I was very experienced, you know, had lots of pastoral gravitas, uh, had a tiger by the tail. I always say I was there as long as he was. I was there four years. But in dog years, it equals his 28 years. So uh, that's kind of how it worked. But, you know, when you are there mopping up on the heels of something like that, you begin to learn a lot of lessons about the impact. And you begin to hear a lot of stories about what people saw and the development of that kind of tragedy. And you would think that would be enough. Uh, but in my final pastorate, uh, <laughs> I was called to another church on the heels of a high visibility moral failure. They just built a massive facility. They were left with a $28 million debt, and um, it was just a big, big challenge. But once again, you learn lessons, and that's why I think uh, Moody asked me to, to, to work on this, to begin to think through how is it ultimately that we really aim for a life of authenticity? How is it we really seek a life of spiritual impact? And I think that depends on what we think we're called to, right? And that's where this verse, I think, means so very much to me. Moody calls me the OSHA pastor. If you know anything about OSHA, I'm the cleanup guy. You know, come in, analyze it, mop it up, try to fix it, and move on. So praise God, all those churches are doing very well now. Um, the one in California, eventually a guy named Chip Ingram came in and pastored there, and now he's moved on, and, but they're still doing well. The one in Minnesota is doing great, um, great missions church, and I'll be there in two weeks uh, I still go back, and we have a men's prayer summit there with 300 men who gather for no, with no agenda for two days just to seek the Lord. So uh, it's been a joy, but um, God is a God of great recovery, isn't he? And I learned that uh, prayer is one of the great transformational elements. In any case, here's the point. Our calling is to his eternal glory in Christ. Imagine that. We get to participate in the glory of Christ in eternity. And that begins to really change everything that we understand about our daily choices. Now, the biblical, the New Testament writers had an understanding of glory that I think was very real, maybe more so than it is to us. And I'll just illustrate this with a couple of them. Uh, first of all, Peter was called by glory. Uh, you may remember that uh, he went up to a prayer meeting with, with John and Jesus. It was a pretty good prayer meeting. They even fell asleep on Jesus, though. Can you believe that? How many of you ever led a prayer meeting people fell asleep in it? All right. Maybe not. Yeah, I guess so. Even Jesus led one they fell asleep in. Uh, but they went up to the prayer meeting. It says, when the glory of God appeared there on the Mount of Transfiguration, they woke up. I always like the humor and honesty of the Bible. But Peter speaks in 2 Peter 1.16. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And as you know, in that moment, uh, it said, the father said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And so when Peter writes about the glory of God, he had really experienced this in a palpable, 
living way, face to face with the Son of God. And so I understand for them, this idea of being called to God's eternal glory has to be so real, so dynamic, and so personal in their lives. There's an old Brazilian proverb that says, the heart cannot taste what the eyes have not seen. I love that. That's why I like missions trips, right? Uh, because your heart tastes what your eyes see. That's why I've taken about 1,200 pastors to a little prayer meeting up in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Tabernacle because the heart cannot taste what the eyes have not seen. And I was talking to a pastor today earlier. I said, you know, you go there and it's like the Disney World of Prayer and you come home and you have a pogo stick and you don't know where to start, right? Uh, but at least your eyes see and you believe and you know it can happen. And again, Peter, his eyes had seen, his heart had tasted of the glory of God. So in the face of Jesus Christ, so when he says we are called as eternal glory in Christ, oh, what that had to mean to him. And yet sometimes we forget the beauty and wonder of that calling. Of course, there was John who was communing with glory. In fact, if you read his gospel, he talks about how we have handled and seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So this was so real to them, this sense of the calling. It wasn't just a to build a church, to have a nice home, you know, to, to make a good living. But it was living for the glory of Jesus Christ. I think of Stephen, who was comforted by glory. You remember that as he was martyred? He was able to look into heaven, and there was the glory of God in Christ standing and awaiting him. And he saw Christ in all of his glory. And I think of Saul. How was Saul converted? On the road to Damascus, somebody handed him a Four spiritual laws track, and he considered it. And uh, no, I think last time I checked, that's pretty glorious, wasn't it? He was confronted with the very glory of God in Jesus Christ and became a new man and had a new mission. All that to say that we, we tend to minimize this idea of being called to the eternal glory of Christ, wherein the New Testament writers had such a real experience of that. And then, of course, Paul was caught up to glory, wasn't he? Uh, what was it, some 14 years later, he finally talked about it? But he was caught up and he said, you know, whether in the flesh or not in the flesh, but he's trying to describe this experience. And I remember uh, John MacArthur in his own inimitable way uh, was talking to a pastor who said he'd gone to heaven to be with Jesus. And uh, he said, my tie still smells like heaven. And John asked him the question, he said, well, what did you do, you know, and uh, did you fall on your face or whatever? No, he's bragging on his tie, so I'm not sure he went to glory. Anyway, Paul went to glory. And uh, all that to say, from a New Testament perspective, this is a profound truth that ought to change the way we live every day. My favorite verse on prayer, and commune with the Lord, you know it well. Let's read it together again. Can you do that? Uh, you'll mostly have it memorized, but let's share it. And we all, with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the very Spirit of God working in us to reveal to us the glory of Jesus Christ in face-to-face -face intimate communion so that we are being transformed with deeper and greater understandings of the glory of God. Wow, I like that. That helps me stay on the road to his eternal glory. Uh, our family's favorite movie is a very profound religious film called Nacho Libre. Uh, you may have uh, seen it. I've seen it about 10 times, but there's a scene where uh, Nacho is collecting the Lord's cheeps for the orphans, and this guy named Stephen is in the, the, um, the alley. You may remember this, and he keeps stealing the Lord's cheeps. 
And so um, I'm not very good at my nacho imitation. But, uh, yeah, nacho wrestles him down. He says, Stephen, aren't you tired of getting dirt kicked on your face? Don't you want a taste of the glory? See what it tastes like, right? And the reality is the enemy's always, he's thinking, what's that have to do with anything? Well, you know, it's the afternoon. We're trying to stay awake here. But uh, the reality is the devil's always trying to kick dirt in our face, trying to blur our vision, trying to confuse our sense of calling. And we need a taste of the glory. And the reality is the Spirit of God gives us that as we commune with Christ. I love later in the next chapter, Paul says it this way, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. And how does that happen? It's the very presence of the Spirit of God to give the light of the knowledge of the, say it with me, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we are to be tasting of the glory of God in Christ. And all that is a foretaste of what we call glory divine in the old hymn writer's words. But your calling is not to build a church. That's a good function. It's a good thing you'll do this side of eternity. But your calling is ultimately to the glory of God in Christ. And I think that changes everything. So as I think about this, and this will be a little bit seminary-ish, but you all are really smart here. Uh, there's four dynamics in terms of our call to God's eternal glory. And you see them in your notes. Uh, there are reasons behind what we do. There are rhythms we must embrace that lead us to the decisions that are focused on His eternal glory in Christ. And then there are some results that begin to play out in our life. And ultimately, praise God, there are rewards, eternal rewards for a life of faithfulness. All right? So that's kind of the framework of where we're going. All right? So let's, let's begin together as we jump in. Reasons. C.S. Lewis said it this way. <laughs> Humans are, bless you, humans are very seldom either totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they are often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives are. And the reality is we can do all the wrong things for all, I mean all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And so we need to really, again, often just look at our own heart. I love this quote in your notes by Charles Spurgeon. You may not have it um, if you don't have it in front of you. But he says, if the fire has been brought from the right place to the right place, we have a good beginning and main elements of a glorious ending. And so the issue really is why we do what we do. And again, that's why we always need to be renewing our minds as to what our ultimate calling is. I need to be doing everything I do for his eternal glory. Uh, when I wrote the book Transforming Prayer, there was a, a radio station in, in Portland. Maybe you could expect this from Portland, I don't know. But it was a Christian radio station. The lady was in a really bad mood. She was pretty snarky. Um, sorry if you're from Portland, you know, but, um, at the end, bless you. I'm, are you allergic to me or what? I don't know. Uh, anyhow, must be my cologne. Um, anyhow, um, at the end of the interview, she went off script because, you know, publishers give them certain questions you're supposed to ask. She says, well, Pastor Henderson, what is the purpose of prayer after all? And she thought she really had me and she probably did. But in the moment, the Lord just put this on my heart that the purpose of prayer is the purpose of everything, which is the glory of God, right? And so everything we do has to be fixed on this sense of calling that Peter makes so clear. Yes, in this life, you're going to suffer, but it's just for a little while. And on the road there, God's going to strengthen and encourage and equip and give you everything you need so that your ultimate purpose for being created is to participate in the eternal glory of God in Jesus Christ. So we need to embrace some rhythms along the way. 
And I believe as we think, I want to live for your glory, Lord, so what do I do? Well, we've got to start making daily choices now. And the most fundamental choice, I believe, is a choice between worship and neglect. Uh, anybody recognize the name Peter Lord here at all? Anybody at all? Yeah, a few of you do. Uh, he's one of my mentors. And I remember sitting with him at Cracker Barrel one time, which is a yard sale with food, as you know. But uh, uh, sitting at Cracker Barrel with him, and he began to reflect on all of his colleagues, most of them a generation ahead of me, who had not done well in ministry. Many more out of the ministry. And he turned to me and said, Daniel, uh, what do you think it was? And, of course, I came up with a few little answers. And he paused. He says, you know what? I, I've thought about this a long time. You know what I think it was? Why they're out of the ministry? It's one word. Neglect. Neglect. You know, that's riveting, isn't it? I would say the hardest thing about the Christian life is it's so daily. <laughs> and the reality is all we have to do is neglect our relationship with the Lord. Uh, I, as I said, our offices are in Colorado. Uh, we lived in Colorado at 6,500 feet elevation. And if you neglect your plants at, in Colorado at that elevation with that intensity of sun, you have nothing left, baby, right? Mm -hmm. And the truth is, in our lives, we cannot afford to neglect our relationship with the Lord. And really, the choice is either neglect or worship. Uh, it's not just having devotions. How, do, how, how many of you know you can go through devotions and not really worship? You can click off your little list, you know, you can tell God about all the things he's supposed to take care of today to make your life happy and comfortable, but not really worship, which is, by the way, why we're so into worship-based prayer, not request-based prayer. But I believe that's the choice. If, if my heart is pure, I'm aiming for the glory of God, then it has to begin with a daily choice to worship and a rejection of neglecting that relationship with the Lord. I, I believe um, there's a number of quotes here. And uh, you'll see them in your notes. Uh, I got some no-name people like Spurgeon and Piper in here, but I'll try to find someone who's got something good to say. Anyway, Spurgeon says it this way, We are in a certain sense our own tools, and therefore we must keep ourselves in order. It will be in vain for me to stock my library, organize societies, project schemes, if I neglect the culture of myself. For books and agencies and systems are only remotely the instruments of my holy calling. My own spirit, soul, and body are my nearest machinery for sacred service. My spiritual faculties and my inner life, I love this, are my battle acts and weapons of war. And again, so if my calling is to his eternal glory in Christ. Yeah, I can think, well, I'm called to organize this, strategize that, lead this. But really, it comes down to that daily choice of being a worshiper and refusing to fall into the, the tragedy of neglect. I say this in the Glorious Finish book, the foundational habitual pattern that sets the trajectory for either a glorious finish or a dishonorable disqualification is the daily choice between worship and neglect. Uh, John Piper, uh, he's always stealing my material. I've got a letter out to his attorney. But he says it this way. He says, sin is pursuing happiness where it cannot be lastingly found or pursuing it in the right direction but with a lukewarm, half-hearted affection. Virtue, on the other hand, is to do what we do with all our might in pursuit of the enjoyment of all that God is for us in Jesus. Therefore, the cultivation of spiritual appetite is a great duty for all the saints. I love what he says about spiritual appetite, this little sidebar. But uh, I've noticed, maybe you have as well, that physical appetite and spiritual appetite are the opposite. All right? Illustrate, you just had lunch. 
All right? Uh, you ate, and now you're satisfied. All right? Had you not eaten physically, you would be hangry right now. Right? You would, you would still be hungry. Spiritually, it's the opposite. Spiritually, when you're hungry and you don't eat, you become satisfied. But spiritually, when you're hungry and you eat, you become what? Hungrier, right? And that's what, that's what Piper is saying. So this issue of worship is the cultivation of spiritual appetite. Uh, very Piper-esque here. God is glorified in his people by the way we experience him, not merely by the way we think about him. Indeed, the devil thinks more thoughts about God in one day than a saint does in a lifetime. And God is not honored by it. The problem with the devil is not his theology, but his desires. Our chief end is to glorify God, the great object. We do so most fully when we treasure him, desire him, delight in him. All that's underscoring that we are called the eternal glory in Christ. And the first and fundamental motive we have is to realize that. And then the decision we make on a regular basis is the rhythm of personal worship. Uh, I'll skip this one. That's in your notes if you want it. There's a second element of this rhythm, and that is humility versus self-reliance. I believe these are the two fundamental rhythms of a life that's set on God's eternal glory, a life of worship that will produce humility, and then that begins to change the results of how you serve the Lord, or a heart of neglect, which is going to produce self-reliance. And uh, again, maybe I don't need to get too technical, but as I heard story after story of predecessors whose life wound up dishonoring the Lord, and I began to realize, the more I dug into it, talked to some of them, that this was really the fundamental deal. You're either a worshiper that leads to a humility of heart and mind, or you neglect that relationship, and there becomes a subtle self-reliance that then changes how you do everything you do. And I think that's so important for us to recognize in how we live. John MacArthur always said that the key to humility is a high view of God. And I like that. The key to humility is a high view of God. Well, that high view of God comes out of my worship, doesn't it? And without that, I'm neglecting the Lord, and I become self-reliant, self-sufficient. And uh, Jeremiah says that at that point, we are a shrub in the desert. Boy, I don't know about you. I don't want to be a shrub in the desert, right? So what are the results? You're going to see a, a number of contrasts here. That when you have a heart of worship and humility, I think it leads to a life then of authenticity. The opposite of that is a life of professionalism. So I'm neglecting my relationship. I'm beginning to find myself self-sufficient, and now ministry has become a profession. I've got it figured out. I know how to do it. I'm managing my schedule. I'm organizing the staff. I've got great resources for my sermons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A number of years ago, I got a call from a pastor in Toronto, and I was going to be up there speaking, and he said, Daniel, can my staff and I have lunch with you? I said, sure. I said, what what?" What's the deal? He said, well, we just read something of yours, and we'd like to get together. I said, great. So we had lunch. His name was John. And he said, I came here to uh, the Toronto area about 15 years ago. Our church has grown to about 2,000. Of course, that always begins to cue you in when it's all about those kinds of things. And he began to tell me about various facets of his ministry. And probably about three minutes into the conversation, he stopped, and he began to weep at the lunch table. And I, it was kind of strange and uncomfortable. And I said, John, what's the deal? He said, I don't know if anything I did had anything to do with the Holy Spirit. I said, whoa. He said, now don't get me wrong. I preach the Bible. 
And God, the Holy Spirit, used his word. But frankly, Balaam's donkey, he used a different word. Balaam's donkey could have done that, right? He said, but I have been a prayerless pastor. And I don't know someday when I get to heaven what's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, what's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. And I guess ultimately we none of us really know, right? But that comes down to not just what we did, but why we did it and for whom. I said, well, explain to me all that you've just described. He said, it's simple. I knew all the formulas. I knew the formula for preaching. I knew the formula for growth. I knew the formula for children, for youth, for adults, for music, uh, all that stuff. Building programs. And let's be honest, we have all the formulas at our disposal, right? And that's the danger today. Instead of realizing I have got to be set not on a big church or a, quote, successful ministry, i got to be set on the eternal glory of God in Jesus Christ. And my motive has to be fixed on that. And therefore, the daily choice I make is worship, which is going to give me a heart of humility, which is going to lead to what? Authentic ministry. And if I don't do that, if I don't do that, then I'm in trouble. I'm going to get to a point of neglect. I'm going to get to the point of self-sufficiency, and it's going to become a profession. I was sitting with Henry Blackaby a number of years ago here in North Carolina, actually. I forget where we were, Charlotte, some conference. We were in the green room together. I don't know why I was speaking with Henry Blackaby, but I was glad. We happened to, thank God, Providence, have lunch together in the green room. And we were chatting. He put his hand on mine. He said, Daniel, after all these years, that's like E.F. Hutton now, right? I took out a pen. I was ready. He said, after all these years, I've concluded there are more pastors in ministry because of insecurity than calling. Fascinating statement, wasn't it? But it really parallels with what we're talking about. Oh, I'm called to be a pastor. Great. And uh, now that I know what I'm doing, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm neglecting my relationship with the Lord. And now I'm feeling a little self-sufficient. And now, I'm, boy, I'm in a great profession. I'm knocking it out of the park. Our church is growing. This is really impressive. On the other hand, my heart is set on the glory of God in Christ. And I know that that has to be everything that drives what I do. So every day I'm going to worship Him. It's going to lead to humility in my life, Lord willing, and an authentic result in what I do. Does that make sense? Next, I think it just begins to kind of uh, cascade down. That authenticity leads to a willing accountability, and that professionalism leads to entitlement. Um, quoting John MacArthur, because I know you're a friendly crowd. And when I'm in a Wesleyan group, I don't quote him as much. But anyway, uh, I'm teasing. Um, I remember we were in a conversation one time about a pastor who's no longer in ministry and uh, about kind of the size house, the money, and all the stuff that he, he had. And I remember John said to me, Daniel, don't ever forget, indulgence is a character quality, not an isolated incident. And that really is part and parcel with this entitlement issue, isn't it? You see, the mantra of an entitled leader is the word more. <laughs> right? Need a little more recognition, a little more money. I deserve a, a little more vacation. Uh, a little more status, a little more appreciation, a little better parking place, you know. And again, that's just the fruit of a professionalism mindset that has come out of self-sufficiency and neglect. On the other hand, a heart of worship that produces humility leads to authenticity and a willingness to be accountable. Now, a little sidebar on accountability. There are really 
four, this no extra charge on this, all right? So four dimensions of accountability. Uh, there's accountability to a mentor, you know, someone who is pouring into your life further down the road. Uh, you're learning from them. Uh, there's accountability on each side to uh, what we would call uh, colleagues on one hand, the people you work with. There's also accountability with a confidant. And this is stolen from another book. I forgot who wrote it, but I've said enough times you think I made it up now. But uh, And then there's finally accountability to your disciples or your mentees, right? And those are four vital parts of, of accountability that an authentic servant of Christ desires. I desire to be accountable to a mentor. I desire to be accountable to the, the disciples that I'm pouring my life into. For 20 years, I met on Saturday mornings with a group of young men in our church, uh, 6 a.m. I told them leaders make habits out of things most people don't like to do, starting with getting out of bed. So we met at Saturdays at 6 a.m. And for 20 years, we just went through the books that had influenced my life. We, we um, memorized scripture together. We prayed together. And as I look back now, that was actually one of my greatest places of accountability. Because I knew that every Saturday I got to show up and look at a bunch of young men in the face. And they're looking to me as an example. And I better make sure I'm living the life, right? So I have a mentor. I have mentees. Then I have colleagues that I work with every day who see my life day in and day out. But then you also need a confidant. That's the hardest one, by the way. And just a sidebar, it's best that your confidant is not a colleague. The reason being is that you put a colleague in a very difficult place when there's something in your life that, you know, not disqualifying, but it's a need. And now they don't know, is there loyalty to the elders or is it to you? And so that's the hardest thing to find. I have a, a pastor friend. We talk on Wednesdays periodically, and we're just real and raw. Uh, but you need that. People who are in an entitlement mindset don't want that kind of accountability. And so, again, this is just the, the cascading of the results that come depending on what your reasons for ministry are, what your rhythms are, and these results begin to play out. Well, authenticity leads to integrity. I'm doing a whole session on that tomorrow, so I won't say much about that. And the opposite of integrity, I believe, then becomes in compartmentalism, compartmentalization, actually. So in the, the pastorate in Las Gatas area, where I was in the Bay Area, uh, people would come to me and, you know, I'm, I'm a, now I'm up to 32. I'm really smart at this point, right? But they would come up to me and say, Daniel, can you explain to me what the deal was? Because for eight years, he married and buried and counseled and all this stuff. And yet he wasn't even being faithful, you know? And the only thing I could really understand, obviously sin makes you stupid, right? But it was this compartmentalization where you keep pieces of your life walled off from the other, right? Your, your married life is in a compartment separate from your personal life or your professional life is separate from your, uh, you know, your staff situation, whatever the case is. Integrity is the idea that comes from integer where a life where all the pieces fit together. Literally, there are not walls between your personal, professional life, between your marriage and your friendships, etc. There's a complete openness and a holistic sense. Well, again, that comes from a life that is committed to be accountable and an authenticity that's flown out of humility and a humility that's flown out of worship. 
On the other hand, you neglect, you become self-sufficient, you get into a mindset of professionalism, you begin to feel like you're entitled, and in order to play that game, you got to start compartmentalizing because there has become a breakdown of integrity in terms of how you're leading. I don't know if that's registering to you or not. I hope it's not overly complicated, but as I looked at the messes that I cleaned up, this became very clear. Well, obviously, this integrity is going to lead to a joyful hope. A recognition that uh, we prayed to give at the ladies here at the church this morning, that he is a rewarder of the righteous. And there is a sense of anticipation that it is hard, but it is worth it. And there is a joyful hope ahead of me. And of course, ultimately, on the other hand, it's going to lead to dissatisfaction. Ministry is not satisfying. It's not worth it. I don't make enough money. People make me mad, you know, and wham, 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 call the ambulance, right? Uh, and the reality is at some point... There's just no sense that this is worth doing anymore. Why? Well, because you're just not living the life. Uh, you felt like you're entitled. It's a profession. And uh, the self-sufficiency has kind of driven all of that in your life. So I hope that makes sense. Um, and then, of course, I would say to you that when you cross the line into eternity, uh, the result is a glorious finish versus a dishonorable discharge. So fairly, fairly obvious there. All right? So let me... Um, say one more thing as we begin to land and we take a few questions. Just by way of review, what am I called to? I'm called to His eternal glory in Christ. And as I read the New Testament and I read the words of Peter and Paul and John and what they understood about that, how it gripped their heart, how they had seen His glory, I too must ask the Spirit of God as I'm communing with the Lord, the witnessing and beholding His glory to stir in me this continued increase of a longing for the glory of God. And then I need to make sure that that remains the motive behind everything I do. That's going to lead me to worship, a life of humility, commitment to authenticity, accountability, integrity, producing a joyful hope, and Lord willing, a glorious finish. That's how we want to live, isn't it? I think that's how we stay in the fight. I think that's the paradigm that keeps us faithful and continuing to be a, a person who's transformed. Well, the good news is um, it leads to reward. It is worth it, isn't it? And we get to participate in his eternal glory in Christ. I say all the time, uh, I got a number of, uh, some of you know this about me, I, I, I have a lot of one-liners, and I don't know why. It's the way my brain works. I can only remember one line at a time. So afterwards, if you want to hear all 30 of them, I'll be glad to give them to you. Uh, I want them all on my tombstone at this point. My kids are complaining they can't afford the tombstone. Uh, but now they have QR codes you can put on tombstones, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, so anyway, uh, one-liner number uh, 15, I think it is, uh, is this, that the scoreboard's in heaven. Say that with me. The scoreboard's in heaven. That's the real scoreboard. And when we get distracted from that, when we forget that that's the scoreboard, that's our calling, oh, how we can get off kilter in our ministry. And you know what's beautiful is that the scorekeeper is perfect and he never misses a score. Now, I was watching football this weekend. Forgive me. I know most of you Christians, you don't do that. But um, <laughs> what game was it? San Francisco? Yeah. 49ers got ripped off in the fourth quarter. I, you know, and I'm not even a 49er fan. But, man, those officials, they blew a couple calls that changed the whole game. Go Browns. Right? What's that? Go Browns. Yeah, go Browns. All right, well, I'm a Seahawks fan, so uh, we better stop before we so discord. Anyway, um, which is why I'm not a 49ers fan. But anyhow, 
Um, where was I before you interrupted me? All right, what was I coming? Oh, yes. The scoreboard is in heaven. The scorekeeper is perfect. He never misses a call. And our friend John Mike Mitchner has done a lot of coaching and refereeing. He told me something I never knew. He says the, the official who actually keeps the score is on the field, not up in a booth. And I thought, man, that'll preach. Scoreboard's in heaven. Scorekeeper's perfect. He never misses a call, and he's on the field with me. He's close. He knows what I'm going through and what it's like. I think we're supposed to be done, so I better hurry. Anyway, um, here's what Tozer said. I can only hope that you're wise enough, desirous enough, spiritual enough to face up to the truth that every day is another day of spiritual preparation, another day of testing and discipline with our heavenly destination in mind. If you have the notes, there's another quote by uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, I won't read it all, but I love what he says. This life of ours on earth is but a preparatory one. And again, he's reminding us we're called as eternal glory in Christ. This is just preparatory. And so, again, we have to make the right choices along the way that make a difference. Finally, Randy Alcorn, he says, The Bible tells us that this life lays the foundation upon which eternal life is built. Eternity will hold for us what we have invested during our life on earth. And as you think about rewards, I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said this. When it comes to rewards, we will not all have the same size cup, but all of our cups will be full. Think about that. In other words, you won't be comparing, you know, my Ben, he really is a big cup of God's glory. Now he's got a teeny little cup. No, there won't be any of that. It'll just be the joy of being before our Savior, giving honor and glory for all eternity. All I know is the more we understand what our calling is, I keep our motives pure. We worship the Lord. We live a life of humility, authenticity, accountability, all that goes with that. The reality is we will live with a joyful hope and great will be our reward. Amen? Amen. 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 So that's what I learned as the OSHA pastor. And I hope it helps you. Let's read this verse one more time. All right? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen? Let me pray. So, Father... Oh, how we want to make decisions every day in light of our calling. Lord, we confess we fritter around with limited perspective. We do stupid things. We sin. Lord, we forget that someday, forever, our cup will be full. And we will participate in your eternal glory in Christ. So, Lord, keep our hearts pure, our motives right. Help us to worship you live humble lives, and pursue the results, Lord, that will lead to joyful hope and that will result in our participation in declaring worthy is the Lamb that was slain through all of eternity. And we pray this for the sake of the gospel and the advancement of your kingdom. Amen and amen. Thank you, everybody. I thought I had an hour, so I was just going on. Yes, sir. Would you mind going to the second part you had there? I'm slow. Sure, yeah, I'll... Go. Yeah, let me go back here. I'll do this easier here. Enjoy your afternoon. Thank you, brother. Stay awake. Bless you all. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted. 
and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.